Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So, Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 and it's uh i entitled this stretched and restored on the sabbath stretched and restored on the sabbath we'll look at it in three parts uh verses 1 and 2 surveillance in the synagogue uh verses 3 and 4 silent on the sabbath and the verses 5 and 6 stretched and sabotage and so last week we talked about the sabbath we talked about how god made the sabbath for man, it was a day of rest. It was a day for us to allow our physical bodies to rest, a time for us to look at the things that God had did for us, the fruit that uh, of our labor, and also um, the things that God provides for us over those six days. And, and the religious leaders, we talked about the Pharisees and, and the rabbis at the time, had added so much law to the Sabbath that it was it was hard for people to keep it just became a burden and and they were cloaked in legalism and cloaked in and uh and uh, you know and putting and adding to the law and, and and one of the things we talked about is for us not to be legalistic and and place our convictions on people uh this week we'll we'll actually see three different uh two different people and then a group that comes in uh, we're going to see Jesus who wants to do good and, and help the man. And then we'll have the man with the withered hand. And then we're going to have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the legalists, uh, that want and, and really have, have this man there to draw Jesus in to, to heal on the Sabbath. But remember, the Pharisees are the, the can and cannot people. The, you can do this, but you cannot do that. And, and so, remember, at the end of the day, what we're looking at is a continuation of the Sabbath, but now they're going to enter the synagogue. And so our first point in verses 1 and 2 is surveillance in the synagogue. Uh, we see in verse 1, it says in that very first part, and he entered the synagogue. First, we see Jesus enter the synagogue, right? And so we have Jesus coming to do what? To worship God, uh, to teach and read on the Sabbath. And he's, he's going to be there in the assembly, in the synagogue. And, and one of the things that we talked about the synagogue is you have the temple, but they had synagogues throughout because of the captivity. This was a place they would come to read the Word of God, a place for them to come to worship. And, and at the same time, the rabbi would teach. And so for us, it, things haven't changed much. I mean, it's, it's the Sabbath was consistently... For you to be brought into the presence of God. You're not here for Mike. You're here for the Word of God. You're not here to go. That's one of the things I think we see now is is like people want to hear celebrity pastors or they want to hear. And they've done that. I mean, what happens is a lot of times people will have left churches and now they're just doing online church and they just go to their pastor that they like online now. And that's okay. 
But you're not there for that pastor. You're there to be brought into the presence of God through, through God's Word. And, and, and what we see, uh, and, and something for us to remember, is for us, it was very simple. What they would do is, is everybody was involved in ministry. So you had people that would get up and pray in the middle of the synagogue. You had people that would actually stand up and read portions of Scripture in the synagogue. It wasn't the same people. Or you would actually have hymns being done from Psalms, people singing. You know, shouldn't be one voice singing. Sarah should, you know, she, she's one voice, but it should be all of us singing, right? And, and so one of the things we see is that it, it's very funny, but this is very simplistic to the nature of what church is today. We, we, can't, we can't add a bunch of stuff to it and, and not miss the foundations of these things. These are the basics. You know, we're, we're coming into the, uh, to church, the assembly, uh, to, to be ushered into God's presence. Uh, we're coming into the church to be, to be taught by God. We're coming into the church to, to have and, and look for application for His Word for each of our lives. And, and so we need to keep it very simplistic. And, and so that's one of the things that I love uh, about Calvary Chapel is they don't, they, don't, they don't get too far off of that. And they, they just keep it balanced and they, they keep their approach balanced when it comes to church and, and, and coming into worship. And so as we see, we see them uh, again. He entered in the synagogue and a, a man was there with a withered hand. Now, when we see this, we see the man coming onto the scene. He's in the synagogue. Uh, one of the things I love about Luke, we talked about it with the Synoptic Gospels, is Luke says that a man was there with the right hand was withered. So Luke, being a doctor, gives the actual hand that's withered, right? The thing is, 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 is I asked this question Wednesday night, how many of us are, are left-handed? I think, is anybody else left-handed in here? I think I'm on the only, I'm the only knucklehead that's left-handed. But see, see, out of all of us here at the church, how much you lose in that right hand would, would hinder what you do. To draw, to write, uh, to cook. You know, whatever it is that you do with your right hand, just think about not being able to use it. And this man could not use that right hand. And one of the things it says in the Greek uh, is the withered hand would have been uh, dried up or deformed. And, and, and it, it says that the, the definition of the word is the hand is dead. The hand's dead. It's, 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 a, it's an appendage that, that no longer works. It's dead. And so you can imagine that his friends and his family are all in the synagogue. And, and then you have this third group that's in the, God, uh, in the synagogue ready for surveillance. And... We see them in, as a, uh, in verse 2, it says, And they watched Jesus whether, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they may, they may accuse him. Now, who is the they? That's the Pharisees. But there's also another group there, the Herodians. We find that out at the end of the, the verses. But we have them pulling surveillance. And what I mean by surveillance is they're watching every detail of Jesus to see if he's going to break the Sabbath. Why? And what's, what's the law say about the Sabbath? It says in Exodus chapter 35, verse 2, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. 
Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. So they're wanting to see Jesus heal the man with the withered hand, and they're watching intently with jealous eyes, ready to accuse him so they can stone him to death and put an end to this right off the bat. And that's what they're there to do. And, and so when we, we remember what Jesus had told them when he called them hypocrites, you know, they break the Sabbath themselves. You know, in Luke chapter 13, verse 15, it says, In the word, the Lord answered and said, You hypocrites, do you not, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? So they're breaking the Sabbath themselves. But they're there to accuse Jesus, to stone Jesus. And the, the crazy part about all of this is this is all happening at church, in the assembly. The religious leaders, the ones that are actually supposed to be ushering people into God. i got to be careful. Teresa told me my decibels are too loud. I, I forget. I, I get excited. I'm sorry. So if I start yelling, I apologize. I'm always worried if this mic's going to pick me up or not. But one of the things that we see is that they, they have, they're, they're, they're the ones supposed to be ushering people into God. And, and they're not there for God. They're there to accuse somebody and possibly see him be killed. It's a trap. And Jesus knows it's a trap. But one of the things that we see is that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are actually following a dead religion. It's a dead religion. Because Jesus had told them that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He told them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And yet, even though they have the Messiah in front of him, they still want to destroy him. And they have a man that has a, a dead hand, but they are in a dead religion. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people that show up to church sometimes, and they're in that same fulfillment of a dead religion. They're just there out of obligation. I'm from the South, okay? And let me tell you, everybody goes to church. It's, it's something that you do on Sunday. That's just what you do. Now, question of whether Texas is the South, it's really not the South. It stops at Louisiana, but that's a whole other argument. Because uh, the sweet tea used to stop at Louisiana, and now they do it in Texas, but that's a whole other thing. But the thing is, is like what we see happening is we, we, we see people that will attend church out of obligation, right? They'll come to church out of obligation. And, and I, my, my parents did it. My parents sent us, and that's how we learned. We weren't there to be ushered into God's presence. We weren't there to hear from the scripture. We weren't there to, uh, to ask somebody for prayer or, or let somebody know, hey, this is going on in our lives. Can you pray for this? Or We weren't there for any of that. And, and the Barner survey said that three out of five Christians since COVID have never returned to church. And they're not even watching online anymore. And I, when I read that, the thing that I thought about, I was, like, I was like, wait a minute, this is, were these people, these three out of five, were they going out of religious obligation? And that little time of COVID was enough for them to go, eh, I don't need this no more. See, we have to be careful not to allow our relationship to become a religion. We, we have a relationship with, with Christ. 
And yet these religious leaders are there to accuse him. It reminds me of what happens to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. And I'll just summarize this. And if you want to read it later, you can mark Daniel chapter 6 in your Bible and you can read it. But he had people that were trying to accuse him too. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the high officials in the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. And this is what's crazy. And I really believe this is what's going to happen probably 10, 15 years from now. In verse 5 it says, And then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what they do, they're like, we're going to set a trap for Daniel. The same way that these religious leaders were, they knew that guy was going to be in there with that dead hand. And they knew that Jesus would heal him. It's a trap. And so they set this trap with, for Daniel, and we see as, as what do they do is they, they tell Daniel and, and um, they tell the king, what we want to do is we want to make an ordinance that whoever makes a petition to any god or man uh, for 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They stroke the king's ego. They say, you know what, they should only worship you. Because they knew Daniel was going to worship who? God. And, and what we see is Daniel, when they catch him, Daniel's exactly where he's always at every day praying. You know, if you read Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, it, it says and then they, uh, that he was in his house where he had windows in his upper chamber up towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And as he'd done previously, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plead before his God. So they knew exactly where Daniel was going to be so they could accuse him and catch him. And that's an awesome thing to know that you're going to be at the same time every day praying. Praying. And like, this is what I do. But what do they do? They, 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 they accuse him and then the king has to throw Daniel to the, the lion's. And then Daniel said, and that's funny because Daniel didn't, the king didn't actually want to do it. The accusers wanted it done. Because the king says, you know, uh, the king declared to Daniel, my God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his uh, angels out and shut the lion's mouths. And they had, have not harmed me because I was found blamelessly before him. And also before you, O king, I have done done no harm and then what does the king do the king actually goes and and takes all of those accusers and throws their kids their wives and them to the lions and and so what we see is these religious leaders accusing and this happens today people will accuse us of stuff it, it, you don't need to argue, you don't need to fight, you need to let God take care of it. You go pray. You ask other people to pray. And, and, and the Lord will take care of it. They're accusing, and this is what's sad about Jesus as they're in the synagogue, is they're accusing the same Jesus that said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
The same Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 27, that they said this is a new teaching with authority. Like they're not getting this. Because their hearts are that hard. The same Jesus that has the authority to forgive sins in Mark chapter 2, verse 10. Their lifestyle had become so legalistic and so religious that their hearts are now being exposed. Their hearts are being exposed. And so we leave the surveillance in the synagogue. Now we go to the silent, the silent on the Sabbath. And, and, and so silent on the Sabbath in verses 3. And he said to them, to the man with the withered hand, come here. This is very important. Because in Luke chapter 6, verse 8, we get a little more detail. Remember, Mark's about action. He's just going to give you and go. But Luke tells you that he says, but he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. Come and stand here. So Jesus is fully aware of the, the opposition that the religious leaders are there. They're not there to worship God. But he brings that man to the center stage. He brings that man to the center of the synagogue. And you know what the beauty of this is? Is the man was obedient. The man stood up. He didn't delay. See, because delayed obedience is disobedience. And so he, he just stands up. And, and one of the things that we see, and, and I love what Don Stewart said about this, he said that there's three types of people in the world. Like Jesus tells this man to come here, and then what does he do? He comes. Now I can tell you for somebody who, who didn't make that decision until I was 39, I made a lot of bad decisions. But Don Stewart said there's three types of people that we have in this world. We have the followers of Christ, we have the non-followers of Christ, and then we have the procrastinators. And what causes people not to stand? Well, one reason is in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People don't want a personal relationship because they have a moral problem. They love their sin more than they want. They don't want to leave it. And you have you have another group that will stand, but they're not standing for God. They stand for themselves. I was reading a survey this week, and, and this generation, this new generation that's coming up, cares more about how they're presented online than they are in real life. There's a study that's been done on this. That's why they freak out when they're in, in, in actual contact with people. I'm, I feel triggered because somebody drove by with the flag and I'm like, what is wrong with you? you when's the last time you went outside? You know, it, it's, it's this, I'll stand for myself, but I won't stand for Jesus. Because I've made an idol of myself. I'm perfect online. Everything looks good online. My TikTok, my Snapchat, my Instagram, everything's perfect. I got the filters. I have the. I make myself look beautiful. I, you can't do anything with this. Filters don't fix this. I don't care who you are. Okay? Even when you make this into a cartoon, I just look like Charlie Brown. But it's sad because what we are doing is we're raising a generation of kids that have become so focused on standing for themselves 
And and what I mean by that is they be, they made their their themselves their idol. It's it's become self-centered. And it's like I I want to live my life my way. I don't want to do what God says. I don't want to do what Jesus says his way. And sadly, the only plan that they'll follow is the their 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 own. And so they procrastinate. They know about Jesus, but they just procrastinate. I don't need that right now. I I got my own thing going on. I have people worshiping me. And so they'll stand for themselves, but they won't stand for Christ. I can tell you, like I said, for 39 years, I thought the same thing. Narcissistic, self-centered. I didn't have an online thing, but I, I was my own promoter. And let me tell you, I... It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. My life was was a train wreck. Myself, my marriage, my kids, until I surrendered, and Jesus saved me. And now I get to stand all the time for Christ, which is crazy, because I never would have. I was, I, you can ask anybody in my high school, you can ask anybody that I served with in the army, they would have been like, not that dude. There's no way. But that's what Jesus does. And so this man with the withered hand, when he stands up, he's standing up in front of all of his family, in front of all of the synagogue, in front of all of the religious leaders and the Herodians, the Romans, to say, I stand for you, Jesus. What happens in the Middle East for, for people who stand for Christ? Some of, them, some of them are killed immediately. They hold funerals for them. The parents will just say, that person's dead to me. But he stood for Christ. And we see in verse, uh, verse 4 as they're silent now. As he stands on the Sabbath, they get silent, the religious, religious leaders. And he said to them, it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, or to save life, or to kill. But they were silent. So he asked them a question they can't answer. <laughs> so Jesus poses a question for, with another question, but he also hits them with questions. And this won't be the first time that Jesus does this. He'll continue to hit them over and over with questions they can't answer. But he's saying, hey, look, is it wrong for me to heal him and do a miracle on the Sabbath, but it's okay to see destruction, to see somebody be killed? Because guess what? People die on the Sabbath anyway, right? In Luke chapter 14, verses 3 through 6 says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, and this is another time, and we'll probably get to this later on in Mark, um, but he says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So we're seeing they don't get the picture. They get, they're just hard-headed, Right? But they remained silent again. And then he took them and he healed them and he sent them away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day would not immediately pull them out? And they could not reply to these things. Because he's saying, look, would you either try to save a life and do good or see somebody die and be killed? Because if your son or your daughter falls down a well, are you not going to do everything you can to save them? Because there was a law saying you couldn't bring up a bucket of water. So you can't save your daughter or your son. 
That's how crazy the laws had gotten. But see, this is what happens. Jesus is bringing grace. And, he, and He's doing good by saving life. And so if, if the Spirit of grace is absent, the law is present only to convict and kill. If the Spirit of grace is absent, the law is only present only to convict and kill. And that's by Augustine. Remember, we talked about Jesus being the new patch, the new wineskin, right? He's not the old religious way. And so Jesus is trying to teach them it's about the relationship over the religion. The law points to the need of Christ. And the religion was just loving a ritual. That's what that ends up happening. That's why I can still go into a Catholic church. And I know when to kneel. And I know when to do the Our Father who art in heaven. I know all I can do all that stuff. Because it was a ritual. It had become a ritual. You know? And, and, and so we have to be careful with that. But, uh, you know, Jesus was about loving God and loving man. And, and Jesus put people at the center of trying to heal and help them. But the religious leaders put the law front and center. And so they were silent. They didn't have anything to say. They, they couldn't argue with Jesus. They, they kept quiet. But it's awesome when you have that painful, embarrassing silence. And they were not, uh, not uh, used to someone that could actually not only just engage them, but imply a question to them that they knew if they answered, they'd be guilty themselves of breaking the Sabbath. Because they'd be saying, you know what, it's okay for you to do good. And if they do that, then you got some major trouble because then you're telling everybody it's okay to break the Sabbath. So there's really not a good answer for them to, to give. And so Jesus, that silence that He gives is, is you know, one that, uh, that only Jesus can do. When He hits you with that question in your heart and it's, it's that silence and you're just like, man, I need to, I need to really pray about that. You know, it's like when you're sitting in church and you, you're hit with a piece of Scripture and it, you just are silent on the way home because you're, you're mulling that thing over. I've had that happen before. And Joe shared something and it just like a bullet to the heart and you're just on the way home, you're just silent because I'm like, man, the Word is freaking, you know, it just really got a hold of me today and I, I need to really look at this part of my heart. There could be some hardness there. And so what we see is, is now they're silent. We see the last part in verses 5 and 6. They're stretched and we see sabotage. So we're going to see the man's hand is going to be healed. But we're going to see the sabotage is also going to be uh, put into place. And he looked around at them uh, with anger. Grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And so now we see that that silence, as, as that silence happens, Jesus is looking around at them, and He's angry because of their hearts, the hardness of their hearts. They're disobedient. They're stubborn. And, and, and Jesus was upset because they had misinterpreted the law of God. He's upset because they grieved uh, and, and grieved at how hard their hearts were. And, and that word hardness or hard heart means to be calcified. And it's really crazy. When you read the definition of it, it means a dulled mental discernment. 
That's what it means in the Greek. You have a dulled mental discernment. They don't care. They weren't open to the truth of God. Now, righteous anger. This is righteous anger. For us, some of us have problems with anger. And you need to be careful because your anger can put you into sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And Psalm 4, 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. <laughs> see a pattern here? Because we always see do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So he's saying in that verse in the psalm, he's telling you to fear the Lord. But don't sin. You know? Because when you get angry, that sinfulness will actually lead you to sin in words and deeds. That's what anger will do if it's not controlled. And we must learn how to direct our anger by doing good, because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going to end up healing this man. James chapter 1, verse 19, a verse that we all know. Uh, I think some of us struggle to practice it. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I don't know if it was Pastor Chuck that used to say, You have two ears and only one mouth. You need to be listening more than you talk. And one of the things I remember, me and my wife, as we went through Christian counseling, when we were uh, re going through the process of seeing the marriage restored, is I remember the counselor having me say something, having her say something, and and then asked me what she said and asked her what I said, and we were neither one of us could answer it because we were already trying to figure out the next thing to say. And that's how we argued. That's what we figured out. And, and I was like, man, I'm already like, like I'm going for that next thing to say. And that's, that's wrong because, you know, when I'm angry, I'm, I'm, it's so quick for me not to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And so we need to, we need to make sure we, when we see this, because I'll see people say, well, you can get angry. I've seen you get angry, bro. You shouldn't be getting angry because you have no control over it. You snap at people, you, you threaten people. That's not anger. That's, that's sin. And so we need to be very careful with this. And then we see him go from anger to he grieved at the hardness of their heart. So he goes from anger and then he grieves because he sees they're here in the synagogue on the Sabbath to be in the presence of God and their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard. And we have to be very careful because this church, you know, one of the things that we, we, we need to be very careful with is these men who were religious, they had a dead religion. And it warns us in that in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, And the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of the gods and seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. I love that because he tells you to wake up and get back to the things that you knew. Get back to your first love. If you're struggling with that hard heart or you, you feel like there's an area where there's some 
some calcification that's happening. You know, that's in Texas, we have hard water. It'll kill your hair. Uh, that's what my wife says. I don't know, right? It'll kill your hair. And it'll also kill your pipes. It'll, man, if you got a coffee maker or something, you use that hard water, that coffee maker is going to stop working because all that, calci that calcium and that calcification is going to happen and it's going to clog it up. And this is what Jesus is talking about, the hardness of the heart. It's like your perception of mental discernment is saying, I love what, what the strong concordance says because it says a hard heart is the lack and quickness and perception of mental discernment. The lack of quickness and perception of mental discernment. Think about that for two seconds. You can't discern what is morally and spiritually right because your heart is so hard. That's crazy. I read that, that week, this week and I go, man, I need to really ask, is there an area of my heart that's gotten hard? Because it needs work. Because it, that scares me that I can be so lacking quickness and, and, and perception of mental discernment morally and spiritually because my heart has gotten so hard in certain areas. And then we see in verse 5, he says, And he looked at them and agree, anger agreed with the, at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So uh, when he stretch out, stretches out the man's hand, does Jesus violate the Sabbath? And the hand is completely restored and healed. It's healed. Jesus doesn't prepare any ointments. He doesn't lift the man's hand. All he does is simply speak. So he hasn't, he hasn't sinned. He hasn't broken the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't sin. You go, well, what about his anger? Did Jesus sin with his anger? No, because it's righteous anger. He directs it towards the man and he, and he heals the man. He used that anger to heal that man. He's like, you know what? I'm angry at you. I'm grieved. I'm going to heal this man now. And so we, that's why we see the silence and the, uh, you know, the, the silence on the Sabbath as, as he's stretched out. And, and then we see finally the sabotage in that last verse. Uh, as he stretched out the hand, uh, now the Pharisees are going to work on trying to destroy Jesus. It says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And so silence, he looked around at them, he was angry. He saw that they were their, their willfulness, they were going to be disobedient. He's angry at their stubbornness. And, and, and now what we see is they're, they're at a point where they're just going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and plot sabotage against them now. And Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 says the, the Pharisees went out and conspired against them, right? Instead of held counsel, they conspired against them. Now, what's crazy is, is the Herodians were actually the Romans. This is the crazy part. So the Pharisees, who are Jewish, are going to now work with the Romans, who they hate, to do what? Destroy Jesus. See how quickly this happened? We're only in chapter 3. It, it happened fast. They, they do not want this man around preaching the gospel. They don't want him and, and what he's teaching because it's going to go against their religion. And not only them, but the Romans already have him on the radar. He's on the Romans' radar already with the Herodians. 
I think that old proverb, that ancient proverb says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they had a common, common enemy in Jesus Christ. They, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. That's why Jesus said on the Sabbath, do you do good or do you do harm? Do you save life or to kill? But they're wanting to kill him. You see the difference in the two. So what's our application? All right, first one. The man with the withered hand had to take a step of faith to stand for Jesus. Is there an area in your life where you may be hesitant to stand for Christ? Maybe at school, with friends, you know? We need to stand for Christ, right? We need to stand for Christ at work. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. I love this verse. I know it's for mainly the guys, but it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Second application. Do you struggle with anger? Now, if you can't answer that question, ask your spouse or your kids, because they'll tell you. Right? Right? They know it's best. If you struggle with anger, if you're triggered quickly, you need to put into practice that verse in James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Remember what Chuck used to say, you got two ears. Use them more than you use the mouth. You only got one mouth, right? And then last... Can you picture Jesus being angry and grieved over hardened hearts? This should actually, this is something that we actually need to pray about and ask God to show us. Because there, there are things going on in this country that we should be grieved over. We should be. But then, the other part of the question, is there an area of your heart that is becoming hard? Remember the Lord is both angered at by sin and grieved by unrepentant hearts. So he takes sin very seriously, and so we need, to, we need to deal with that. If there's something in our hearts that's gotten hard, maybe unforgiveness, maybe you're upset with somebody and you're like, man, I can't, and you just ramble on and on and on, you got to let that go and give that over to God, right? Whatever it is, whatever area has gotten hard, maybe your heart, you, you got a, a, your heart's gotten hard over the over a, a, a certain political party. You got to let that go. Give it over to the Lord. Give it over to God. At the end of the day, what we're here to do is to minister to people and teach them about Jesus Christ. We want to see them stand. We want to see people stand up because they're blinded. People are blind. Their hearts are hard. But if you don't stand for Christ, who will? You're his children. You're supposed to be standing. All right. So the last one is, and this really has to do with communion. So Sarah, you can go ahead and come on up if you're ready. Uh, if you're not following, are you the procrastinator? Are you stop following? Communion is for believers. And so in John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do this. Uh, do you believe this? And so when we, when we come to do communion, communion is for believers. I don't know who's watching online, so this is for you online. I believe everybody here has given their life to Jesus Christ. Miho, you can go grab. If anybody else needs one, if you can get some for them as well. Miss um, Donna, you need one? You got one? Wait, Court, you good? Good? Okay, we're good. All right, and so um, in order to, to receive communion, you have to be a believer. Four things need to happen. It's, uh, one, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Uh, it tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what is the penalty of sin? In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have to admit that we're a sinner. We need to ask for forgiveness. We repent and we turn to Christ. We believe that He died on the cross and was resurrected. And we ask Jesus into our heart and be Lord of our life. And so if that's you, I want you to go ahead and pray this prayer for me. And, and then we'll do communion. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Be my Lord. Be the Lord of my heart and my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.